0: Welcome to Friends Podcast, Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. BitFriends is a national vitiligo support community founded by Valerie Mullineau. For more information about Friends, you can visit us at www.bitfriends.org. You can also call us at 844-374-3639. You can email me at Podcasts at gmail.com. That is and l podcasts at gmail.com. BitFriends Podcasts are sponsored by my Vitiligo team. Welcome to Living Life in Love Perspectives. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. On today's show, I have a very special guest. I have Bianca Anderson. Welcome, Bianca. Hello. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. How good, about good.
0: you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, I've been under the weather, but I'm back. So I said, let's go ahead and get this conversation on the road so we can move forward before the next allergy season hits me or whatever hits me next, you know, let's go ahead and have our conversation. So uh, I appreciate you being here. Now, this conversation is going to be a little bit different for the vitiligo community because we're not talking about vitiligo per se. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But before we get into our conversation, officially introduce yourself maybe tell our listeners where you're from and then we get into our conversation
1: yeah and thank you so much for having me uh as he said my name is bianca anderson i am originally from florida jacksonville but i have spent majority of my life in atlanta georgia which is where i live now and i am a public relations communications professional it's what i do for a living." and really just passionate about advocacy and so just really happy to talk today about skin diseases and specifically the one that i'm living with
0: absolutely and we'll get into that i don't want to give too much away yet but you did say skin diseases and for people that are my friends on facebook they know i went to dc for you know the hill day you know advocacy for skin diseases and that's through the coalition of skin diseases so and i I shared a little bit about that journey. I shared uh, my experiences um, interacting with other people, meeting other people with various skin diseases, and as well as share some on the podcast, uh, Millicent and I did a podcast just to kind of share our experiences, but I wanted to have someone with a different experience from mine. You know, I have vitiligo. We know vitiligo. Um, it is It is an autoimmune disease. However, the results you see on the outside you know but there are some others that it's the same thing but yet totally different and I do want to get into that that's why I had you on Um, I don't want to get to that part of it yet but let's talk about the CSD, CSD Hill Day uh, what was your experience like
1: wow I don't know where to start it was more than i anticipated and just for background this opportunity quite literally came out of nowhere whenever i did my planning for april this was not on the radar but i personally and professionally do some work with ap- advocacy i do do communications and corporate affairs in the healthcare space and so kelly barda who's over the coalition of skin diseases she connected with one of my colleagues and then i have a support group that i'm a part of for my condition that i live with and she ended up crossing paths in both those spaces and then i ended up being able to go to the hill day and i think going into it i knew we were going to be meeting with members of congress you know just to really put in some real life storytellings to move some of these critical policies in place but i didn't realize how on fire i would be during right. that experience i think i spent a lot of time prepping the notes and i know mark like you know you and i said it was i think it was your first time also just right, right. really trying to figure out what to say to these representatives and so going into it very nervous you know, really making sure that I was speaking to the different points like step therapy and um, right. copay accumulators, things like that, that are very critical within the Congressional space right now. And realized that the most important thing is just sharing my story, what I've always been trying to do and wanting to do. And so I did meet with nine representatives in Georgia and it was actually a really great experience i thought they might not be as receptive but then i realized as a constituent that's really what we're supposed to do we're supposed to leverage the congress and those who represent us and so definitely think i have a newfound passion for advocacy that i did not see coming and just within 2 days i've learned so much being absolutely. in absolutely
0: yeah it Wow. Yes. It, it was a very interesting experience because mm-hmm. I almost turned it down. Yeah. Um, me too. <laughs> I, I was in Dallas at the time and, you know, I was on the last leg of my trip in Dallas and I saw this email come through and yeah, so, you know, it's from Dr. Rich. Okay. I opened it and I saw mm-hmm. it and Hill day blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, nah, that's not for me. I'm not going to do it. So I closed it out something said, open up the email and read it further. I started reading it and I said, I'll do it anyway. But I really didn't want to, I was hesitant and I filled it out and I was like, okay, didn't think anything about it, I sent it. And the following Monday, I was actually eating, uh, eating dinner at one of my favorite restaurants and it came through, boom, boom, you've been accepted to Hill Dave. I was like, for real? Okay, so um, what do I do now? You know, it was one of those things because I knew I was going before Congress Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion. Didn't know what to expect. Didn't know what, how it would feel, you know, um, talking about being nervous and all that, you know, um, and then leading up to it, getting on that plane, I was like, oh crap, I can't turn back. You know, this is it. And once I arrived at the hotel, I was still nervous and Finally had a chance to meet Kelly and a few others and then saw some people I recognized. I'm like, okay, I feel better, but I still didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. Um, you know, when we had our orientation sitting with each other and hearing about the different skin diseases and I'm like, wow, wait a minute. This is bigger than me. This is, and I'm going to say it, I went in close minded because all I can think about was vitiligo. That was it. Yep. I thought that was the only thing that existed. That existed. That's the only thing I'm going to talk about. But in hearing the stories and people sharing, I'm going, "No, this is about all of us. It's not about one or the other. It's about all." And yeah,
1: uh, I I think that's a big part of it. That where the nerves came from is, I hope I say this right because I'm representing. Absolutely. We we said that number a lot: the 84 million living with skin diseases, and even. That's when I felt like, oh, I got to do this, right? I got to go in there and I, I need to take a stand for those who can't, for those who are feeling down right now, are flaring, right. you know, right. just really are, aren't able to go to the hill. And I think it was a lot of pressure, but good pressure.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and it was a great experience going into the halls of Congress, you know, at a time where at one point we couldn't go in yeah, um, because of the pandemic and situations that happened afterwards but now being able to go in and talk to if not the Congress person, at least their representative to have that conversation to say hey this is what we want this is what we need and this is why we need it um that was so important and i was nervous the first person we met i was nervous and i'm like what stance do i want to take it because when i think vitiligo my case is not as severe as someone else Mm -hmm. but i'm still a voice for someone you know So I started talking from the education awareness standpoint, because I'm thinking about, I said, well, what about the student who has a rare skin disease that's in school? Their teacher needs to know how to support the student. The parent needs to know how to support the student. The physician needs to know how to support the student. I said, so that's where the education awareness is so important. And I said, it's not just about vitiligo, it's about all of us. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I really had to change my, my focus and my viewpoint on it
1: yeah for sure i think storytelling and just really they're going to hear about the policies right the things that we were coached to make sure we mentioned right they're going to hear about that but i got the best feedback when i shared my personal journey and what i experienced because of lack of policies being put in place and it was just really validating i think A lot of them I could tell were moved and hopefully that's what sticks with them whenever they're, you know, with their colleagues and making these decisions.
0: Absolutely. And and I like the fact that we went as a group. So you had more than one Mm -hmm. skin skin condition in a group. So they can see that there are different versions of skin conditions. There are different conditions out there. And, um, some I've never heard of before, you know, Um, I've, I've learned so much just asking questions and, and when you hear the stories, I'm going, wow, you know, I can run, I can jump, I can, you know, drive my car with no problem. I can go to work. I can interact with people, but I have colleagues here. They can't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. um, their skin condition would not allow them to. So it, it gave me more compassion, more empathy for other people, and a better understanding that th- there's a lot that's happening in this world and we've got to support each other and stop looking at just a small piece of the pie and say, it's only me. No, it's all of us, you know.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you on that. I didn't realize how many outside of my condition, like I knew some of the more commonly talked about skin conditions. You know, Mark, what I told you about my knowledge of veniligo, started and stopped with winnie harlow
0: right so you really
1: helped to uh fill me in on what it looks like to live with viniligo and how the condition progresses over time or comes about in the middle of nowhere in your life you know so it was very educational some of the ones that i still can't pronounce so i'm not going to try right that are hidden that others wouldn't see that people are struggling with that that has to be tough to have one that isn't so visible and then people it almost kind of feels like it's not a real thing and you're not treated as if you're not going through a condition that can be de- debilitating.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to make one more statement before we get to what your condition is. Yeah. Um, I think that has been the challenge in the past of getting any type of legislative um, acts move is that they can't see it.
1: Mm-hmm. I almost
0: feel like as people, we feel, like you said, if I can't see it, it it's not real. But mm-hmm. Any condition you have, any disease you have that's inside the body, you can't see. You can see the results on the outside, you know, whether it's a fever, whether it's, you know, blisters or something. But you can't always see what's happening inside the body, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think it helped us. It helped them to notice, wow, okay, now I can see this condition. I can see what it looks like. Um, And it was the one young lady that was in my group. Um, I'm not going to say her name however she has HS and she described her condition as she said it was like a suit of armor made out of sandpaper Mm -hmm. and I'm like wow that's powerful because it you think a suit of armor may be heavy and she said Mm -hmm. it felt like that at times if she didn't get treated you know she couldn't move her joints you know a bend her arm or legs or whatever and you know, for the Congress people to see that, or the staffers to see it in person, I hope it. They hope they remember that as they go home and say, "You know, these people really need our support." Yeah. You know, I, and I really hope they are still thinking about us, saying they really need our support, and we're going to
1: support them. Now, one hundred percent. I hope I. That's all we can hope for. And I feel like it was a great first step for sure. For it it was,
0: maybe. it was, um, and that was your first time, right?
1: Yeah, it was my on first hill, time. Yeah. I've heard of Hill days, but I had no idea exactly what went on or Absolutely. the importance of them.
0: And would you continue to do Hill day afterwards?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I've already looked into a local, like what I can do from a local level in Georgia and how I can keep the conversations going. So Awesome. We'll see more to come.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now reached out to Kelly as well. Said I'm I'm on board.
1: You mm-hmm. know, just
0: let me know what you need. I can help out as much as I can in whatever capacity, um, and in the local people staying in contact. So it's great. Um, let's talk about your rare skin. We want to call it a condition. And, and let me say this to the, to the listeners. You know, sometimes we do identify our what we are living with as a disease or condition, depending on the audience. Um, Sometimes we'll say condition because it's easier for people to understand. When you say, hey, I have a skin condition, people can, you know, I say the average person can deal with that better than you saying, hey, I have a skin disease because some people hear the word disease and they think the worst case scenario, oh, they have a disease. It must be contagious. No, it doesn't mean that, you know. So um, we've agreed that we call it, we'll call we call it a condition, you know, just for the ease of some people, but we do understand when we went before Congress or sometimes when you're talking to your medical professional, we use the term disease. So mm-hmm. share with the audience your rare skin condition.
1: So I live with eczema, which is also known as atopic dermatitis. It actually is very common. Mm-hmm. So common that, it's minimized of right. how it can be debilitating living with it. And best way I can describe it is a chronic inflammation of the skin. I like to describe it as a mixture between if you came in contact with poison Ivy right after having a sunburn. So it could just be very hard to function, you know, move about comfortably And it's, it. It's been interesting. I've had it since I was three years old and have gone through from areas with clear skin to being bedridden, not able to move. So it's very unpredictable. Still not certain what causes it. Some say it's genetic, others say it's food. You know, there's different subtypes of eczema, like contact dermatitis is another common one. Some people just get it if they come in contact with the product or a certain material or pollen season might trigger a flare.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah. now it's interesting um because you showed the pictures of mm-hmm. you know of the most severe case for yourself yep um and a lot of times when we think eczema we, um let's be honest a lot of us think small patches here maybe a patch over there maybe a patch on the shoulder neck neck could be on the face but what you showed is it almost completely covered your entire body correct yes and and that's why I say rare, because it for those of us that don't know, you know, and that's why I mentioned um I always mention it, education and awareness is so important because when you don't know something, you're gonna make assumptions. And mm-hmm. you know, if not treated, eczema can be very serious as well, you know. Um, what are what are some of the treatments you've had to use or take to help you with your eczema?
1: So Primarily, since I was young, so I've had it again since I was three, so immediately I was put on topical steroids, and this is what I used when I was having a flare, and when I was younger, my flares would be very controlled in localized areas, so kind of what you were saying, Mark, like patches here and there, but they were very severe, so It would be cracked open skin, bleeding, crusty, oozy, just very hard to bend and move like your arms and legs, especially if it happens in the crease of your arms and legs, which is very common for most. So I would get prescribed different types of topical steroids at various strength levels to basically help me get back into a period of remission and controlled skin. And this went on for about majority of my life, I think where I just kept rotating, switching, using different types of um, creams to manage it. And then even when I wasn't flaring, they would still prescribe me a maintenance dose just hmm. to kind of keep things at bay.
0: Um, was there any particular um, treatment that worked better than others or were they all kind of the same while well, you just trying to figure it
1: out? Well, for a while, they all worked great until, you know, they didn't. Sometimes I would notice with steroids, they're they're pretty much there to silence the the noise, and right. so you put it on and it keeps the the symptoms at bay. So you know I would be able to function again because a lot of times when you're flaring and you're crusting over, you you really can't wear clothes, especially tight fitting ones. You know, sweating is a lot, doing certain activities with movement. So it was just really helpful, I think, for all of them. Uh, Obviously, the higher the strength, the quicker the results. So that became a little um, more of my choice of preference for the worst flares to just, hey, what's something that can kind of get this controlled a little bit quicker? I even at one point when I wasn't seeing as much success over time, because I think my body had gotten used to the topical steroid creams, I was prescribed prednisone to use. And um, yes, I (laughs) think. I wish if I would have known before, I probably would have went to that, but that was the point that I got to, as far as the strength needing to keep my, my flares at ease. They went from localized to spreading from head to toe. Wow. Okay.
0: Wow. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the challenges as they're flaring. Um, how how did it truly impact your life? Because um, I know a lot of times when we're living with our rare uh, I can't say rare with our skin diseases or skin conditions it does alter our lives a bit Mm -hmm. and we have to figure out you know how to live as normal as possible so how did that impact you
1: I think and I'll just talk from an eczema perspective first Mm -hmm. it it's at a physical and a mental toll so physically very painful when you're flaring it's it's just you know having cuts and rashes it's not just it's it's like an itch that doesn't go away right. and then when you have eczema you have a compromised skin barrier so if you can imagine itching and scratching yourself right. you have your nails are dirty the bacteria a lot of times we're not only dealing with rashy itchy skin you cut open your skin from scratching, now you have to deal with infection. So right. that's very common in our community. Uh, there's a condition that comes from scratching and bacteria viral infection called eczema herpeticum. And this shows up as blisters. So right. then, and then it spreads cause it's viral. And so I, I also have dealt with that on top of the rash, just a full body blisters, um, boils, and it's just very uncomfortable. And I think, you know, as a Black woman, something that I've struggled with was finding a dermatologist that understood Black skin right. because the way flare ups present is kind of gray black on our skin and, and you can't really see the red. And right, so sometimes right. they say, oh, well, let's just get the inflammation, the red under control. And I would look at the pamphlets and not see skin that looked like me. So I'd always have questions about, well, I've been scratching, now I have all of this scarring. And how do we work on the hyperpigmentation from the skin thickening and from, you know, the flare continuing and being chronic? How do I get back to my natural pigment? And I usually would get blank stares. And I think that's where the mental toll comes in is you have scarring, you're discolored, and you know, I would always say I'm various shades of brown.
0: Right, (laughs) Um, right.
1: I don't want to wear, I didn't want to, you know, wear shorts and short sleeves growing up. I remember growing up in Florida, the summers would be extremely hot. Right,
0: right. And
1: I, my friends would say, you know, Bianca, let's come out, you know, let's go play. I would take hours to just try and find the most loose fitting, breathable, long sleeve shirt because I just didn't want to deal with the questions, the being bullied, being called spotted, polka dots, you know, all this different things. And even as an adult, I know people who still hide, you know, the scarring and the flares that happen from eczema, because again, it's just, it's something that you can't always control. You don't know when the the flares are going to come. And and it can just kind of put you in a really depressed state of mind.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you about one more thing in a second, but here's something too, that um, as a person with vitiligo, we can also have eczema. So sometimes people think, oh, if I have this condition, I can't have that. No, you can have a combination of different things, you know, and then you have to get into the mindset of what do you treat and how do you treat it? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know there's Opsalora that was originally um, created for eczema, but now they have Opsalora for vitiligo. They Mm
1: -hmm. find
0: out it helps out with vitiligo. So, um, And I think in some form or fashion, they seem to be sort of related in how they're treated to a certain extent. Although, you know, vitiligo, you're just losing the pigmentation. You know, you're not developing, like you said, the cuts or sometimes the boils and different things. So um, when, and and let's talk about clinical trials. Did you participate in any clinical trials in relation to you know eczema and trying to get help or support?
1: I didn't. And I do feel like I was primarily given the easiest treatment. Oh, okay. Even if I said I didn't have success, I didn't really have access to clinical studies. And I also wanna highlight, although eczema is so common with millions of Americans living with it, there wasn't a lot of research until the last five years of right alternative treatment options steroids has been the number one choice and so with the, the current biologic that I'm on I didn't participate in any clinical trials and I do think you know that there was a lack of diversity in it I read the research right. and the data and I just think that's a gap um, definitely think that the panel of participants could have been a little bit more diverse to really understand how the drug responds in different Absolutely. ethnicities.
0: I feel the same way when it comes to um, vitiligo and clinical trials, because most times, someone like myself, they always, I'm always told I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, if I went to a dermatologist and they said I have vitiligo, that means I have more than enough. But for clinical trial purposes, I never make it in. Um, especially when they ask how much is on your face and often, you know, one of the questions I ask a lot is if you're only trying to treat the face and you know, the face is easy to treat, why don't you try the harder parts, you know, and I understand it's money and time and all that, but if you can treat the hands and feet, you, I feel like now, now you have something because those are the hardest parts of the body to treat with vitiligo treatments, you know, Mm -hmm. let's tackle the hard parts. But I get it, they don't want to, they wanna take care of the face first. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm tired of being rejected. And I feel like, is your data truly uh, accurate? Because you only have one type of data that's just in the face. What about, you know, the various types? Cause it's like um, six different types of vitiligo. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm not gonna go through all of that. I didn't here, know that. Yeah, there's Universal, like um, uh, Millicent. I think you had a chance to meet her. She's considered mm-hmm. universal. Um, myself, you know, you got generalized. You got segmental, where you could have it just on one part of the body, mucosa, which could happen in like the grown area, um, in the mouth or the nasal passages. And there's a another one. Try it's try trichome, something like that, where you can have multiple different types of vitiligo. Hmm. Which I kind of fit that bill because I have the three spots on my face. Well, one on my neck, two on my mouth. Mm-hmm. They haven't gone anywhere. They haven't moved. They haven't grown. It's been like that for 20 something years, but the rest of my body, it's whatever it's going to do. So it comes and goes and the patterns move, you know, I might regain pigmentation. I can lose it. Um, What's interesting with it. Um, I don't know if we share this with you, but it itches sometimes before you develop a spot.
1: Yes, you did. I remember you telling me that. It's,
0: it's weird. Like, you feel like oh, I got a mosquito bite, something bit me, start scratching, look down. No, it's a white spot, and it it just happens like that. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, in a sense, that's similar to how eczema feels, like if you're getting another patch,
1: yes. Uh they call it the itch that rashes. Wow,
0: and see, ours don't rash, it just turns white, <laughs> and it's <laughs> yep. weird. So
1: Usually kill like sometimes. I'll have what I think is a good clear area, and then it starts itching. Right. And then the next day, it's skelly and then it's crusting, and I'm like, okay. And then obviously, if you scratch it, now it's getting infected, and you're irritating right. it, so it's a vicious cycle.
0: Right, right. Now with vitiligo, um, now if I get a severe bump or a mm-hmm. cut, it turns into vitiligo. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had scratches on kids at work thank you. You just gave me some more vitiligo. And a couple of days later, there it is white spots. Wow. Um, going out in the sun. Some of us have to be careful. I'm okay. I could wear my sunblock. I'm good, but we have others in the community. They can't be out in the sun like that at all. They mm. get severe sunburns. So it is so different for every person. And it, and I just, I feel like it's unique. It just, when I sit back from a scientific point of view, I'm like, man, that person, they just developed their vitiligo, but it spread so quickly. That person's had theirs for 40 years at one spot. This person completely lost, you know, they completely depigmented. And, you know, I'm fascinated and I often wonder about the genealogy of it, but I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not a researcher and even to this day, don't know, they don't have enough information. Um, yeah. You mentioned that, you know, like, I just feel like in the nineties, we knew about these things, but we didn't have enough information about, you know, the various skin diseases or conditions, how to treat them. um, What's going to work properly for each person. And like you said, when you're only testing on one ethnicity, we don't know how it's going to work for somebody else. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to test on all to make sure everybody's benefiting from whatever um, treatment. Now, um, what are your thoughts or on education and awareness? You know, what, what is it that you will want people out there to understand and know about your eczema? Let's say like if you're out in the public, if they ask.
1: Personally, my passion right now is about certain aspects of eczema escalating being preventable, and that there are different ways to tackle flare-ups and to even help your body to prevent flare-ups and again there's a lot of things we don't understand about eczema sometimes we don't understand flares but what i can share is my personal experience of what i wish i knew which is the impact of using topical steroids and i used them for more than 20 years that was the only medication option that I knew, I didn't know about alternatives and like holistic practices and, you know, cleanses, I didn't know about things to support my body. And just thought that the only way is to just be on medications. And unfortunately, I had to educate myself on what happens when your body begins to become addicted to steroids. So the last three years, I in addition to my eczema developed topical steroid withdrawal syndrome. And essentially this is when your body goes into shock and withdraws from the use of topical steroids. And the scary thing about this is that this is the number one medication prescribed for eczema in a lot of skin uh, conditions. It's also prescribed for non-disease related conditions. Like if you go and get bleaching or cosmetic, if you have you know, they have uh, cortisone sold over the counter. Now they're giving it to babies and you see more babies developing topical steroid withdrawal. And this was eczema on steroids, no pun intended with that. It was full body. I was bed bound. And I mean, I looked like a burn victim. I would get in the bathtub and my entire top layer of skin would just wash off. And turned completely black gray head toe. I lost all of my facial hair. And it was, I mean, my legs and arms swelled twice the size that they were. I didn't have any skin on my feet. And this happened within months. And I think I knew something was wrong because I would start to not respond as well to the steroid medication. Right. And I told my, my doctor, I said, Hey, is it, I was in college at the time, and, you know, it was the same old routine. Have a flare-up, go to the derm, get my medication, put it on as directed. And actually, I learned through my own research that you're not supposed to use these creams a lot. You're supposed to use a dime-sized amount, but sometimes they prescribe tubs of it. And they told me, you know, use it as needed. If you feel an itch coming on, use it. And so I did, and it worked like magic. But then it didn't. And I remember telling my dermatologist, hey, can you get addicted to this? Because I used it for the recommended time and my flare is still here, but only it's worse. And it's in a spot that I've never had eczema before and was told, oh, let's just switch it around. Your body might be getting used to it. So whenever I went into TSW in 2019, at that point, only oral steroids, prednisone was working for me. Wow. That That's another issue is that that yes. should be prescribed for. Uh, skin conditions and it it changed my life. I was bedbound. I almost lost everything. And I had to advocate for myself. And I think oh. from an education perspective, I'd want physicians to really take the time to stay up to date with things that are happening um, within healthcare and with treatment options and to really make sure that you're properly educating your, your patients. And then for those living with a condition, making sure that you are vocal and really aware of these factors that you know, there are other options than steroids and the harm of using it more than needed. You know, I think now if I could go back, I would only use it maybe ever so often but really look at alternatives and thankfully there are new treatment options that aren't as um invasive i think to the system but
0: absolutely wow um and and i you showed us those pictures and i think Mm -hmm. kelly as well had the same experience um Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna say they're powerful pictures because you you can hear how you describe it but to see it also it's like wow you know um, we don't realize how our bodies, like you say, get addicted to certain things. And mm-hmm. we're thinking it's doing us some good, and in the end, it's doing us some harm. Um, mm-hmm. even with the obsolera, it says the same thing. Use a, you know, I think about a time size, you know, a certain areas, not the whole body. Because sometimes, you know, we'll get stuff and be like, Oh, I'm gonna put it everywhere. No, mm-hmm. small area. <laughs> um, but that's where we have to educate ourselves too, about. Mhm these creams and what they're prescribing and and one of the thoughts i had you know cuz when i first developed vitiligo i was given a topical cream and what the um, dermatologist said was well you know put it on your hands you know and, and your legs and you know and you should see results after 6 months after a year there was no results i had more spots but I never knew that the topical cream was really designed to work on the face. Mm. So I'm thinking you had me buy a cream that you knew, or maybe you didn't, wasn't going to work on my face. I mean, on my hands and feet. Cause that's where I really wanted it, but it was only designed to work on my face, you know? And, and at that time, you know, these little spots, I mean, you can't hardly see them. So why am I going to put cream near, near my mouth? So then I'll get, medication in my mouth no i don't want to do that um so it it just you know it makes me wonder and i'm hoping that anyone who gets diagnosed with any type of skin condition that they do some research first you know or get a second or third opinion for from other dermatologists um regarding any type of treatment you know or look it up do your research there's a whole lot of information out there and or talk to others that live with the same condition Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: we can learn a lot from each other if we talk to each other you know um i'm learning a lot about different treatments people have done like the light therapy i've never done that i was offered laser therapy laser whatever i'm like i'm not doing laser no for this no i'm not doing that. so there's different options but i'm like no i'm gonna be okay i'm just gonna live my life you know i'll talk to other people I said, if I ever feel that I need to get a treatment, I'll do so. I said, vitiligo, it, it, it's not going to put me in the grave. You know, stress will, depression will, other things. And I've said this before on the podcast. I said, I have asthma. That's more important than, you know, my skin. I said, if I can't breathe, then what? You know, that's that's my concern. So, you know, I I don't. I guess at this point in my stage of life, you know, I don't worry about what my skin looks like. I'm more, I'm more about helping others. You know, if I can give information to others, if I can support them in that way, if I can be your voice, you know, Mm -hmm. that's why going to the Hill is so important. I can be a voice of somebody who may not feel comfortable going before a congressperson. And, you know, sharing their story or journey, but I've heard them on the podcast, so I can talk about it. Oh, I know a child that went through this or a gentleman who went through that or a lady who went through this, you know, and I can share those stories as well. And, um, yeah, I I just I just say, you know, we we got to be thankful that we have our health no matter how many challenges we get, but that we ask for, you know, knowledge to, like you said, be able to help yourself. And now you're able to help others. People listen to this podcast; they're hearing your journey, your story. And I'm sure somebody's going to say, "I know somebody has excellent. I know somebody who's going through that, or maybe they went through it themselves." Mm-hmm. And your story is going to help them. Um, as we're getting towards the end, in, in any, I know our our conditions can bring different things with us. You know, with the, I know there's the the hardships, the challenges, all those negative aspects. Any lighthearted or funny moments that you ever have had with your eczema dealing with other people or just situations that you want to share?
1: Huh. That's a great question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that um, because with Vitiligo, sometimes we get all kinds of comments. Um, you know, of course back in back in the days so it was michael jackson everybody had the michael jackson mm-hmm. now people can identify winnie harlow but like i work with kids i hear all types of interesting things you know i've got a treasure map on my hands um your know, camouflage you know you look like a cow now the f- craziest thing then i'm gonna throw it back over to you if you can mm-hmm. remember something um uh, i was talking with one of my one of my students we were having the conversation And he was jokingly talking to me, saying, you know, I'm going to chop you up and make you into chicken noodle vitiligo soup. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to chop you up and make you into a chicken noodle vitiligo soup. I was like, well, what is that? He said, it's chicken noodle soup with with, with little white spots on it. (laughs) I was like, okay. All right. So I didn't get offended. I don't those things don't bother me. You know, I can it laugh. With them. You. Yes. So what I did the next day, I brought chicken noodle soup, crumbled up some crackers, a little white crackers and showed it to him. I said, guess what I have for lunch. He's like, what's that? I said, this chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle, viniligo soup. He said, I didn't know it was the real thing. No, it's not, but I'm going to have fun with it. That's how I do it. You know? So what are those situations, any situation, anything that just kind of, whether it made you smile or just, you know, a chuckle, something.
1: Well, I don't know if I have any. I feel like my examples aren't really lighthearted. The first one that comes to mind is more, I can laugh at it now.
0: Mm-hmm. I well, remember you could share that
1: in in uh, grade school, you know, I would get called different things. But one time I wore this green dress. And I just knew I was cute. I just got my hair done. And so it was a rule. If I had my hair done, I had to make sure the night before I picked out the best outfit to go with that hairstyle. And I just remember I was on the playground. I felt like cutest thing in the world. And there was a boy that, you know, I thought was really cute, had a crush on and him and his friends were whispering. And I just like, okay, I got him, got the attention and he turned and he was like, oh, you look like a spotted leprechaun.
0: Oh, gosh. Was like, <laughs> that, that's what kids do? So,
1: so, yeah. Um, And I think I flipped it by saying, oh, well, I got more money for the snack truck than you do. So, <laughs> you know, uh playing on the whole gold thing. But, I mean, there are definitely moments now that I can look at that I've been told, oh, is it contagious? Our yeah. people have asked me questions that were kind of awkward. Oh, another funny one is... I would often have people think I had hickeys uh, on my yeah. neck, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever I would have a flare. Um, one of my my teachers in college, he was like, Oh, Miss Anderson, I see that hickey on your neck. And I said, Oh, I said, you're so uneducated because this is eczema. And the whole class was just like, Oh, and he just his whole face turned red, he can tell he was so embarrassed. And so I think that was a good to not assume. But right you know um so there's always people unsolicited advice is now that i said i don't have any examples and now they're coming out (laughs) i get a lot of unsolicited advice thought i was having a great skin day finally had a short sleeve shirt on which took a lot because right you know when you're actively flaring and your skin is flaking off in piles of skin and you don't really want to show that you want to stay kind of incognito but i'm like you know what i'm clearing up so i'm at the whole foods line and the lady greets me, and she's like, "You know, it will help for your eczema. You should try Aquaphor." And I'm just like, "I was having a good skin day."
0: Thank you for that. <laughs> and I feel
1: like the fact that you pointed it out. So you know, it's just always those moments of having the opportunity to educate people, and
0: yeah, you know, yeah, people where w- will uh, share things. And I, I don't know if my cousin's gonna listen to this podcast. I might have to put him on blast and and tell him to listen in. He'll he'll be lighthearted about it. He's a, a comedian, but we were talking one day. He was like, yeah, I know something that will cure, you know, help you out with your your vitiligo. I said, like, yeah. He's like, uh, get you some head and shoulders and, and put it on there and it'll help clear it up. Cause you know, <laughs> vitiligo is this and that. And I'm, and I'm listening to him like some head and shoulders. And I tried it. <laughs> and I'm like, look, <laughs> like, why am I, and and I'm sitting here thinking, I am putting head and shoulders on my vitiligo spots. All it did was make it smooth and and glistening. I'm like, it didn't take anything away. I said, why am I listening to this? But we become desperate at times, you know, people have all these different um, remedies that will work. Or if you drink this concoction or make this, this will work. If you, you know, take a little lemon juice and vinegar, don't, for my listeners, don't do that. I'm just saying what people might say. I don't want anybody going, oh yeah, I'm going to get some lemon juice and vinegar, rub it on my skin. Don't do that. But people give you all types of things to do and sometimes we listen because we are desperate for some type of relief or, you know, or cure Mm -hmm. and right now, there's no cure for these things, you know. We're hoping for one, for all skin diseases, that there's some type of cure So, because people want relief and need relief. Mm-hmm. but
1: i've tried quite a few i um, Yeah, there's been things i found through my support group especially mm-hmm. when i was at my worst i mean i was drinking some kind of clay dirt from another country that i had imported <laughs> over you mm-hmm. know whatever it took to make myself right. <laughs> i was willing to do it
0: i had a lady tell me in my country we have a plant that would cure you and i'm thinking okay if you have that plant why is that plant only growing over there and why haven't we heard about it somebody would try to sell that come on if you got this miracle plant that's gonna work not to say it is not there somebody's gonna bring it here to the U.S. and mark it up you know higher but Mm -hmm. it it, it just makes me wonder I said you know everybody has a cure everybody has something that's gonna work but I'm not going to believe you unless it's FDA approved, because I want to make sure it's not going to cause any additional issues. You know, what if right. I consume this plant and I grow a third ear or something? You know, you just never know. These things could happen. So, but Bianca, on that note, I'm going to honor your time and my time. We've been on for quite some time. We've had a great conversation. I'm enjoying this. But the vitiligo community members that are listening, I think it's great for all of us to get a different perspective on skin conditions and, and or diseases Um, to understand we are not the only ones out there that are living with challenges that um, have to figure out how to navigate life, you know, regardless of what's thrown to us, but just know you don't have to do these things alone because there's a community for all of us, you know, and, and really the way we are looked at, we're not looked at, at, as individuals, we're looked at as skin diseases, and we are a coalition. But if you can give our listeners some words of encouragement, and then I'll wrap things up for us.
1: Be your own advocate. And I know we might hear that a lot, but you are the expert. And I like to look at my physicians as business partners, really. I go to my appointments like, this is a mutual exchange. You know, you know your body best, you know your wants best, and it's so important to champion those things to really get the support and care you need because just like you're having to educate yourself a lot and keep up to date, so does your physicians. And a lot of times we help to connect those dots. So go forth, be brave, and don't be afraid to champion for yourself.
0: Absolutely, very important to advocate for yourself. You can do it.
1: It may be hard at
0: times but you can do it bianca thank you for coming on to the podcast to share your journey to share your story um i'm sure it's going to reach someone out there listening i don't know who i don't know where but it's going to reach someone and it's going to change your life so i greatly appreciate you coming on
1: yeah thanks so much mark for having me
0: you're welcome and look forward to the next hill day and that that should be very exciting next year but you know hey i'll wait i'll get there next year but for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. This is living life and love perspectives. As I always like to end my shows, remember to love someone, whether it's yourself, whether it's your colleague, um, love your spouse, love your enemies, you know, love your friends, neighbors. You know, love is so very important. But once again, I know I said love yourself, but look in that mirror and tell yourself, "I love you," because we don't do enough of that. You have been listening to Living Life and Love. I'm your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. you will you will take care. And remember, vitiligo is not contagious and some of those other skin diseases. But love is. You have been listening to Living Life and Love with your host, Mark Braxton from Raleigh, North Carolina. Fit Friends podcast can be listened to on Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and on Facebook. Once again, Bitfriends podcasts are sponsored by my Bitoligo team.